My name is Milla Heikkilä and you are listening to Better Monday podcast, powered by Sophocles. What is a minimum ethical product? Why do we need to talk about ethics in business altogether? And why are women-centric communities like women in tech and women in AI possibly detrimental to gender equality? In this episode, I'm interviewing Catalina Putnaru, Head of Product Marketing at Hyperchar and Global Ethics Lead at CityIA. Okay, hello Kate and welcome to our Better Monday podcast. Hello, hello. Have you uh, enjoyed the festival so far? Oh, very much so. Actually, I've enjoyed Finland much more. The most exciting thing about Finland that I've discovered so far is that you have window seats for dogs Do in the train. <laughs> oh yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> I've not seen anything like that anywhere else and I absolutely love it. I'm already in love with Finland. Oh, that's great to hear. <laughs> and today we have really uh, amazing weather. This is not um, typical for Finland in August, so this is amazing. Yeah, well, we are lucky. global warming. Yeah. Hashtag. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, true. Um, my very first question to you is, uh, what makes you a better Monday? Um, well, I mean, there are so many ways in which you can answer this question. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to look at the world from the lens of an em- employer, then I suppose that the way you would describe better Monday is... Um, coincides with the narrative of being a good employer. So that would mean that you would provide to your employees, you would be generous, you would be attentive to their needs. So that's something. Therefore, a good Monday, a better Monday to an employer might mean a Monday when employees come to work and they um, are enjoying perks. They're enjoying Mm -hmm. free breakfast. They're enjoying a nice environment. They're enjoying maybe a spaceship-like workplace right Mm -hmm. that's one way to define it another way to define it is depending on um your personality right and there is this kind of point of view um in philosophy that we are uh some of our roles right so if our if my role at work is to be somebody who makes a difference then a better monday for me is um basically a Monday when I can go into a meeting and say, hey, this is my point of view, or I want to take Mm. ownership of something. Mm. If your narrative is um, to just do a good job, then a better Monday is uh, um, a Monday where you can go to work and you you have clear vision, Mm -hmm. you have a clear action plan, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So better Monday has so many definitions depending on where you um, stand when you look at this term, right? Yeah. Um, personally, I, I'm a bit of um, I I prefer to define myself not necessarily by the type of role that I have or where I work in terms of the specific place or company. What matters to me is um, just being able to uh, explore different skills to the extent that I want, mm-hmm. and then perhaps be able to move to a different. Um, department or different uh, to explore different skill sets right yeah so that's why in my own career I've not uh, I've not followed the straight path mm-hmm. I wasn't supposed to end up you know quote unquote where I am yeah. today but being given the opportunity to to um, 
apply my skills, but also explore other uh, ways of working or uh, having roles that are not necessarily uh, narrow roles, expert roles. Mm -hmm. That's something that I love about um, work. Yeah, yeah. Good answer. <laughs> uh, and what what do you do? So my day job is product marketing. Mm -hmm. uh, initially, I started. You know, my background is in psychology. So oh, I really? started. Yes, oh. I studied psychology, and I made a mistake because I wanted to be a neuroscientist. Uh -huh. And I made a mistake because uh, I thought that to be a neuroscientist, you need to first start with psychology. I was wrong. So <laughs> I ended up studying psychology, and then. Um, I started to uh, understand that it's very difficult, at least in Romania, my country of origin, uh, talking about um, mental uh, well-being and exploring your own self and mental states was not something that was very like normal, yeah. right? And we would uh, go to a psychologist when you had uh, issues, uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> so it was impractical. My, I, I quickly discovered that my um, area of study led me to a life that uh, uh, where I couldn't find a specific job right or mm -hmm. I couldn't thrive or my society the society that I was in wouldn't mm -hmm. accept me so um, or wouldn't allow me to uh, be the psychologist that I wanted to be so I decided to find a practical avenue in which I could apply psychology in the real world and that was marketing mm -hmm. and I got very interested I got very excited about the um, possibility of mixing kind of behavioral sciences with marketing. Sorry, and um, I, um, my career started to grow and because I didn't like being a specialist, I didn't focus only on content marketing or digital marketing or uh, acquisition or performance or growth. Mm -hmm. I was basically um, trying to master as many skills as possible and always look at the big picture uh -huh. um, and I always got what had, had had this interest in startups because uh, unlike established companies startups at least at that time they had this drive to do something different and that is very appealing mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. it's like almost contagious when you are um, when you meet somebody that you see in their eyes that they're passionate about something yeah. and they truly believe it yeah. it's truly contagious and And if, if you guys, if the two of you resonate, then it's just uh, work doesn't feel like work anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So I started to work a lot with startups um, and uh, that also allowed me to develop several skills. And um, while I developed my career in marketing, I also noticed how expectations around marketers shifted and there was no longer a... Um, and expectations that marketers would operate with 100% integrity. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was not something that I liked anymore. And what I mean by that is um, there is this heavy focus on um, metrics, something that you can measure, eyeballs, um, visibility of a specific product, of a specific brand, Uh, conversion rates. And these are just dry metrics. They actually, um, you know, if you focus on only those and you don't focus on the meaning, the reason why mm -hmm. you have a product that's very, very, um, you, you, you could actually practice, uh, do things that are not 100% uh, res respectable, I guess, yeah. right? You could, you could, uh, you could uh, perhaps uh, 
exaggerate a message or mm-hmm. you could present the product in a specific way. And that, is, that, that started to be expected somehow of marketers, right? And growth mm-hmm. marketers, the idea of growth marketing is a prime example for that. Mm-hmm. You know, do whatever you can, run as many A-B tests or multivariate tests to ensure you get that conversion increased. Why? Right? Mm-hmm. Why? So I started to feel very disconnected from the, those kind of expectations. Um, and I decided to be closer to product marketing um, because in product marketing, you are work with the product team and you actually make a difference in the way a product is built. So you could actually influence, if you have a certain point of view, certain understanding of what a good product means, then you can make your mark. And because we talk about good products, um, one thing that is very important to me is integrity, mm. right? And how do we build good products? And good products aren't just those that work or that are usable. Good products are also ethical products. Yeah. So I started to be very interested in the way technology shapes and influences society. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are many views that you know technology is neutral, that technology is just, just a tool. Um, that's not necessarily correct. Technology does actually influence the way we perceive reality and it changes us, right? So I b- became very interested in exploring the avenue outside of my work. And one of the things I got involved in was um, uh, what is called a working group around defining standards for um, ethics in uh, artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. But I think these, these kind of standards can be applied in cognitive technologies and in any kind of technology overall. Um, so I basically had a life where I had my full-time job and also came back home and I just dedicated my entire time to contributing to these standards. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, again, coming back to the idea that I had so many, um, I, I had a lot of skills and therefore I had a, a lot of vantage points. I was able to um, look at this field, emerging field of ethics in artificial intelligence from a practical perspective, uh-huh. right? So my question was always, okay, great, we have five principles or we have six principles, what is next, right? So mm-hmm. what I started to do was to try to come up with a process for teams to be able to um, integrate principles into their product design and product development practice, mm-hmm. right? Started to look, um, and I looked at um, several methods, design thinking, agile methods, and I kind of learned from that um, that it's uh, uh, it's very important to be able to break down a complex concept like ethics into actionable steps, mm-hmm. and that's that's the first thing I did and came up with the idea of a minimum ethical product. Um, and that's uh, something that I'm trying to talk about more often and just help. Uh, the community of technologists mm-hmm. and ethicists work to work together, right? So that yeah. ethicists, they do come up with uh, standards or with principles, but technologists um, are able to understand what that requirement means, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. So they need to kind of work together. Ethicists need to ensure that their standards can be actionable and technologists need to be involved in the same discussion of what is a good product. Mm-hmm. And how long have you been doing this? Well, I think for about three years now. Okay. okay. And that's just my spare time. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, you are also very much involved in uh, women in tech or some uh, yes. this kind of a community? 
I did. I was uh, involved for about two years in Women uh-huh. in AI. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, what was uh, happening there was it was this platform for women to support each other mm-hmm. and kind of mm-hmm. promote each other, especially in the field of artificial intelligence, where under 5% of all uh, practitioners are women. Mm-hmm. So it's a very low percentage. Yeah. Uh, even, you know, like in the industry, in tech industry, I think the... The percentage of percentages of women in tech is maybe between ten and twenty something percent. In AI, is so much less, and there, the women in AI is a great platform mm-hmm. for supporting each other, especially when you um, uh, have a discussion with very young uh, female professionals. Mm-hmm. But when you've already been in this industry, you know that. There, although there's a benefit to having a women-centric kind of organization, it can be detrimental mm-hmm. um, because um, having a women in tech or a women in STEM or a women in science approach further perpetuates this separation between men and women. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to get to a point where we perpetuate differences. We, we, we get to a point where we, there's true equality yeah. and it doesn't matter your gender, you know, and there, you can be, um, you, you, you don't have to identify as male or female to get into an industry, mm-hmm. right? So I did, uh, some of my work was related to promoting women and then I simply decided to try to contribute to supporting women by being a role model myself. Mm. but not necessarily associating myself to with an organization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why do you think there are only only a few women in, in, in the AI and in, in tech industry in general? I, I don't have um, an answer that is easy to digest. Mm. Uh, my answers would be very harsh. But um, if you look at the history of how women um, got in technology, in the... Um, 1850s, women, uh, at least in the UK, started working as computers. Mm. That was the term for a woman who was working with um, the kind of machines, right? They were called computers. So women got into the industry of technology before men did. But at the same time, there was this tendency to uh, feminize the workforce so that any job that was done by a woman was considered not a white-collar job. It was considered less of a job. Women were severely underpaid, and working as a computer at that time was not a great job to have. Not a cool position exactly, or anything. Right? Yeah. So, but when computers became electrical, when, <laughs> well, not, not the job, but yeah. the actual machine, right? When they became electrical, Um, all of a sudden, there was this uh, realization coming from the government that, hey, we're moving towards kind of information age and we need a reliable workforce, quote unquote, reliable. And they thought women were not a reliable workforce mm. because women need to be moms and they need to be wives mm. and that's what they should be first and foremost, right? Mm-hmm. So they literally and uh, systematically removed women from those tech- technical jobs um, and men got trained into uh, doing kind of the same work and so historically we are per- perpetuating prejudices and we are per- perpetuating points of view that women are not as able and that their role is 
their identity is connected to being mothers mm-hmm. or to being wives or to being to behaving a certain way. Yeah. If you are a very assertive uh, lady, you might get into the kind of trouble where you're not seen as assertive, you're seen as uh, as aggressive. Mm-hmm. So why we're perpetuating prejudices? It's because it's human nature. Mm-hmm. But perhaps in this fact related to history, there there's a little bit of an answer to your question. Why is it mm-hmm. that there are so little women in technology? Yeah. yeah. What do you think that should happen that there are, or that we could get more women into the field? Well, um, it's not a popular perspective, I don't think, but... Um, Again, coming back to my point, I respect all of the initiatives that are for women in tech, but I think that they do perpetuate this point of view that women need special treatment, mm-hmm. right? So when that is happening, then you, as a woman, and it can happen to myself when I get invited to specific events, if the criteria is bring me a woman, mm-hmm. then that's not a good criteria to, to live by and to invite a speaker mm-hmm. uh, to a conference, right? Uh, so it it basically um, uh, could uh, influence women, the way they perceive themselves. It could further perpetuate the, the belief that, hey, we need to support women, especially, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I think what needs to happen is we need to remove this distinction between men and women, and we need to train each other um, men and women to uh, behave appropriately in a work environment and to relate to each other as human beings, Mm -hmm. not as members of a certain sex with specific given roles and expectations, which I should be able to relate to a man and not uh, with any man in in any place and uh, focus on, you know, what they have to contribute and what they bring to the workplace instead of feeling like... I shouldn't. I shouldn't uh, perhaps uh, uh, challenge that man, right? Mm-hmm. And the the man should be able to again through training and through understanding how we need to relate each other mm-hmm. to each other. Uh, a man, a man would be able to say, "Okay, I'm sitting in front of an expert, not of, in front of a woman in yeah. that field." Yeah, yeah, we can do so many things at so many levels. We learn how to be by modeling modeling and simulating other people's behaviors. Mm. So when we go out in the world, we carry with ourselves these uh, these uh, frameworks and these uh, way of being that we have learned from parents from the place we come from. Yeah. Yeah. And shaking up that uh, mold and that framework by exposing yourself to different ways of being opens up yeah. right your ability to understand that hey there are so many ways of looking at a person mm-hmm. you can say that they are um a woman or a man you can say that they are white or colored that they are orthodox that they are catholic or they are an atheist mm-hmm. um but at the same time you need to be aware that this tendency to categorize and associate a certain an associate idea with categories is a very limiting and very constrictive uh, way of relating to each other. Mm-hmm. Do you think this is going to change in the future? No, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Not any. I mean, it's a very. I think it's. It has. It's. Um, 
There's a lot of personal awareness that is required for this. A lot of people do not have that self-awareness yeah. uh, to understand that they actually, they are yeah. influenced by these habits of yeah. the mind. Yeah, yeah. Even if they conduct diversity product uh, programs and even if they evangelize and they su support, quote unquote, women in tech, mm. they themselves may be uh, perpetuating uh, unhelpful or unhealthy uh, ways of relating to each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, can you give any practical tips for let's say for companies or other women out there like what can they do yeah. just to like eliminate eliminate that or maybe not eliminate but at least like somehow lower these these prejudices yes. yeah um i think my number one advice is for uh, ladies to look into um communication mm -hmm. um not skills necessarily but because women do tend to communicate quite a bit. I mean, it, it, it's been shown that the um, number of times a woman speaks, uh, speaks during the day is significantly higher. But um, communication is the number one way in which you negotiate a position with somebody. Um, so I think women need to learn to be assertive in a way that um, does not... Uh, um, trigger a different reaction from anybody else, but they also need to learn to be assertive without um, compromising on their position. If they are an expert, they need to portray themselves as an expert, mm. right? Mm. They, you know, there are like practical tips, like don't say sorry, or um, express yourself as, uh, as my opinion is, but I'm not sure, mm. you know, don't mm. learn to own the fact that you are good at something. And also, when you interact with um, perhaps difficult uh, individuals, learn how to be softer. Mm -hmm. And that's one aspect. And the other one is uh, um, really understand that you can rewrite who you are every day. Um, maybe you've defined yourself as in the way that your friends or your family defined you. Maybe you've defined yourself by your mistakes or by the fact that you're trapped in a profession mm -hmm. or you have to do a, a, to work in a profession in, in the same way you've done it for many years. Every day you have an opportunity to rewrite yourself. Every day you have an opportunity to explore an aspect of yourself that you never thought you were capable of. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand that every day you can be, be um, the best of what you can be. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. <laughs> really, <laughs> I like that idea. Um, well, um, we have uh, this team uh, evolved around Better Monday uh, or having Better Mondays. Mm. So, of course, I have to ask you, um, how do work-life balance and well-being show uh, in your own life or um, and in the organizations that you work at? Mm. One thing I appreciate very much um, in the company that I'm currently working with, um, Hyperger in London, is uh, that um, there is a certain respect for how people naturally work better. So what that means is if I work better in the afternoon, then it is perfectly fine for me to attend working hours in a different 
with a different, slightly different schedule as long mm-hmm. as the core hours correspond with the rest of my team or as long as I, you know, I take responsibility and attend all of the required get-togethers. That's something that I, I appreciate very much. I am not a morning person. It takes me two hours to be a kind person in the morning <laughs> <laughs> and, or to have any desire for anything. So... Why would I have to perpetuate that kind of misery, right? So mm. if I work better, if I start um, work slightly later, why not? Yeah, that's uh, that's one thing. You know, work from the idea of working from home is also important. Uh, perhaps because you have children, perhaps because you have dogs, or perhaps because you are an introvert. Um, and companies that understand that being <clears throat> the loudest voice in the room is not uh, implicitly related with performance. You yeah, can be the exactly. quietest person in the room and you can be the most reliable employee. Mm. So why not allow people to uh, work from home productively instead of suffering a commute or being in an environment where they are constantly constantly putting up with the, the, the pressure of forced social interaction mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right so yeah. that's something that i appreciate about my company there is a certain respect for the way you work better yeah yeah nice um then you also work closely with ethics and ia like yes. mentioned already before uh, and actually shortly you're about to give a speech about this matter yes uh, why do you think this is such an important matter that it should be discussed about um I personally think that it needs to be actioned rather than, than discussed. Um, the essence of all um, ethical discourse is to constantly negotiate what is good and what is fair or what is trustworthy mm. in this society. And this negotiation will always change because the way we see good today will change from the way we would see we will see what is good. 100 years from now mm-hmm. so this negotiation has to continue also there are so many vantage points um, that we need to kind of work with the cultural perspectives on what is good or what is trustworthy right so this negotiation of what is ethical cannot stop right so you can be part of that discussion or you cannot be part of that discussion that's fine that's a completely separate subject what is important is to stop um this um, this gap between ethical discourse and product practice. We need to build a bridge between the two. Mm-hmm. Our modern economy um, around the world, most in 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 in, in its majority, is built around economic um, the idea of economic productivity as a descriptor of uh, for uh, a healthy economy. But um, I believe we need to add um, a little bit of an ethical undertone, mm-hmm. a little bit of an ethical definition to what is a healthy economy. A healthy economy is one, is one that also contributes to um, a healthy society. Mm. And therefore, um, when we build products, when we provide services, when we sell these to people, we need to apply our current understanding of ethics into that process into our into our offer it's not that we are just selling um apps it's not just that we are building up apps for uh, teens teens to communicate with each other we are actually giving them a technology that will influence the way they behave with each other mm. that could increase 
isolation that could de decrease their ability to relate to each other in real life because they're so used to uh, doing it in a digital form. So we need to understand that there's always a, an impact. Um, again, technology is not neutral. Mm. So I believe that it's important to be part of some of that conversation re related to ethics. Mm -hmm. um, it's not necessary. What's needed is that you apply ethical thinking into everyday product and, and technology development. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think that uh, is the worst thing that could happen if companies don't uh, apply these ethical principles to their, um, to their work? Well, um, so, you know, when, uh, I'm not sure if this is uh, what might have happened in Finland, but I know that in um, certain countries there was, uh, like, sugar was advertised quite a lot. Uh, literally, there were adverts about buying sugar. Um, over time, it's uh, been apparent, it is, has been demonstrated that sugar contributes to poor health. Poor health means um, that you have to spend a lot to help people recover or deal with the diseases that come from uh, an unhealthy consumption of sugar. Um, so the, the, the economic cost um, and the well-being cost um, that is uh, uh, derived from giving society, the, not the wrong, but giving society bad products is tremendous. So similarly in technology, if you build technology that has the potential to cause any sort of harm, no matter how subtle, over time it can have a compound effect. Mm -hmm. And therefore we don't know exactly what the cost will be. Yeah. But today we do know that uh, very self-proclaimed democratic platforms uh, that are like social media kind of platforms, yeah. they proclaim themselves as being uh, a symbol for free speech and free discourse, but they are, they are a perfect platform for bullying and mm. for aggression. Yeah. So what does that mean? What is the, what's the worst that can happen? We see people committing suicide. Yeah. We see people who have serious uh, problems with the way they see themselves, the way they evaluate themselves, and that is awful. Mm. Technology, you know, it's not that it should always uh, make us feel better about ourselves. That is our own responsibility. But when you do see that there is a certain significant negative impact, then, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the worst could be, but we are already seeing um, changes um, in the way people uh, live. And these changes are not always really great. Mm -hmm. Um, what could companies do to uh, improve their uh, ethics or, or their um, uh, social responsibility with, mm. with uh, related to technology then? So, um, I think it depends on the size of the company. My personal opinion and stance on this is that hiring uh, an external expert is not the solution. Looking for looking outside the company to regulators or to ethics officers is also not the solution. No amount of surveillance or regulation or punishment um, is ever was ever historically able to uh, sediment a certain cultural 
um, point of view. And for example, you want to have a, a culture of creativity. If you want to have a cultural creativity, do you hire somebody who punishes you if you are not creative? Mm. That's that's nonsense, right? Or do you say that in order to be creative, you need to come up with 30 ideas every day? That's nonsense. No. So I think ethics is um, very much a, 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 a team sport. It's something that needs to be practiced by the team at the level that they are best able to. Mm. So the best thing that we can do today is... Each company should have a, a sincere conversation, respectful conversation with their team members or team leads and, and say, okay, what is our current understanding of um, ethics? And what is our position? And then what is it that you can do in your job? Can you do anything if you're a services designer? Can you do anything if you're a marketer, if you're... Mm -hmm. Uh, an engineer or a product designer of course you can so what are the things that you can do and if you feel like you are not quite sure or understanding it that's fine you know we can uh, the company can invest into helping that person reach a similar level of, of understanding mm -hmm. so I think ethics has more to do with um, work practice just mm -hmm. like being agile is yeah. Uh, a team um, it comes from within. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it has to be built within. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, I have still one question for you, um, and that is, uh, if you had to name one happiness act that makes a company better than all the other employer uh, employers, what would that be? Oh, I have several in mind. Uh, initially, uh, my uh, my instinct would be bring dogs to work. <laughs> I love puppies. I think that that is an amazing uh, act of kindness. But you could do other things. Uh, you could uh, invite um, your people to talk with senior people. You could invite uh, your employees to bring their children to work, bring their spouses, uh, so that you can facilitate this... Um, realization that you're part of a society as a company you engage in a contract with the rest of society mm -hmm. it's not just a, f a nine to five very isolated activity it has impact on everybody so if you are proud of what you do in front of your child then that is great mm -hmm. and by being open and allowing people to bring their uh you know their family their friends to work then uh, it just um just strength, strengthens this this uh, um, perspective, perspective that work is not isolated, is part of what you give mm -hmm. to society. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. And uh, thank you very much for uh, coming here today. Uh, My pleasure. To give this uh, interview. Uh, it's really been a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Thank you. And uh, I hope uh, to see you here uh, at our sauna ferries. Feel free to join us I will, later on I this will day. do so as well. And I think your uh, your work and the purpose of this podcast are really timely and very beneficial. I hope that you you know the your audience is able to connect and uh, I'm happy to you know answer any questions. Just tag me on Twitter and I will continue this conversation. Great. Thank cool. you. <laughs>
thank you for listening to the Better Monday podcast. Enjoy the rest of your week.